change. And guys, we have really like, we have a year and a half in, we're in Matthew 13. We're almost halfway through the book, which means we might be done in another year and a half. <laughs> Who knows? We'll just see how it goes. But if you want to go to Matthew 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 23. And probably when people ask me about like my favorite parts about house church, I'm probably saying I love hearing different voices read the word of God. But then my second is I love that our children pray probably more than the adults pray at house church. So like I'm digging that. So why don't we start, everybody read two verses, and we'll go clockwise. Kyle, can you start us off? Yeah, that'd be really good. Uh, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, so that he, oh, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering his seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. So when your friends see you coming downstairs, do somebody watching just little kiddos? The scorched standard, big shadow. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred and sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Do you want to read first again? Or Rebecca, you can read it from it's right here. His disciples came. His disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. <clears throat> Those who listen to my teaching, more understanding, understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables, for they, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Do you want to read the same one, 16 and 17? I'm good. You're good? I'm good. Okay, okay. But blessed are your eyes. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what they see, but they didn't see it, and they long to hear what they hear, but they didn't hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. Anyone, uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and 
not understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Can you scroll the path, Jim? But since they have no root, they last only a short time. Then when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for the food and how it gives our body strength and nourishment. Lord, I pray that I would not get in the way of what you want to do here tonight. I thank you so much for Miss Natalie and Riley and Martha, who has jumped in uh, to serve downstairs with their kiddos, Lord. I pray that just our heart is that these children would feel seen and known and so deeply loved by us, Lord. We thank you so much that we can gather freely in this nation to... Uh, learn the word and to be challenged and to grow and I just thank you so much that um, our family has the incredible privilege of doing this in the home that you have provided for us in Jesus name amen, amen. all right in usual on Johnson fashion I broke up this set of verses into three set of verses and what I'm gonna focus on is like you have this experience up until this point, Jesus is traveling around, and he's teaching, and he's healing, and he's doing all these really, really cool things. But the interesting thing is that every time he does something cool, the religious people are like, nah, you're definitely from the devil. Um, classic religious people move. Um, it's like, nah, you're definitely, like, you're doing this in the name of Satan, and you are leading people astray, and you're doing all these things. And they were following Jesus this entire time. They were seeing him heal people, restore people teach and preach and they would be like you're the devil and so jesus has to rebuke them and he has this conversation with them and this experience with them and so as the crowds are gathering you see this experience where jesus in verse um in matthew 13 1 through 9 it says that jesus gets on a boat and he essentially teaches from the boat and we can probably assume based on the fact that a couple of verses later the the disciples are like, why are you talking in parables? Is that they were most likely in the boat with him. So you have this experience where Jesus is standing in the boat and he's speaking out to a group of people talking this way. And then it pivots into a personal conversation with the disciples, with the people in the boat. And the thing that is really interesting about the first nine verses, you have him in the boat, he's teaching, and he started telling stories in parables. So before... Jesus was just going and publicly teaching the message, the kingdom, the good news. He was just out there. To, it, it was just pretty point blank what he was doing. But he decided to shift in the way that he was communicating to the people. Because what he wanted to do was he wanted to kind of drive home this message. That there are people who will hear the good news and they still won't get it. There will be people who will see God do incredible things and still not get it. Because they either they don't want to get it or God has just not been revealed to them yet. 
And all these religious people, all these people who know the word, they know the like they knew the expectation for what the Messiah would be. They knew that God would come and rescue them. They had these expectations, and we talked about this a lot. They had a messianic expectation, which is their idea of who Jesus was, was that Jesus would come back and he would be like King David. He would be a warrior. He would be wealthy. He would have people. He would be rich. And he would essentially go and dominate every every nation that has dominated them. So that's what's like that's like that is my Messiah. That is who will rescue us. And then they get Jesus. And honestly, Jesus was kind of lackluster compared to what they were expecting, right? They were like, he is going our our Messiah, our savior is definitely going to be a king. And he is going to essentially whoop a ton of butt for every nation that stomped us and owned us. Because I'm pretty sure that's how the religious Jews talked back in the day. Like, he's going to come and take, take butt and take names. Yeah, he's, he's going to be rad. And he's probably going to sing in harmonies. Uh, <laughs> is that how you say it? I mean, maybe. <laughs> he's definitely going to harmonize with the angels. That's There, there you go. That's, there it is. And then you have Jesus, born of a virgin, in a cave. You know, we make the birth of Jesus really clean and sterile. Like, all these animals, all of a sudden, like, that you have, baby is born, and they gaze beautifully into this beautiful, clean cradle. And all of a sudden, there's, like, this magical light that is just there. And, like, it probably didn't smell like poop, because mm-hmm. a what? A farm never smells like poop. Like, we live in Linden. We know what poop smells like. All right? And so there's this experience where... Jesus is born. He is not what they expected. And so they pursue him. They're like, you are not the Messiah. You are the devil. You are all these things. He's like, you're not getting it. You people who think you have your crap figured out, you have missed the point. And I shared last week that as somebody who, like, I feel called to ministry, this is what I love. When I read this, what stands out to me is this conviction of, is there stuff that I am just missing because I have been religious for so long that I think I get this gospel. I think I get this message. I think I have this idea, but in reality, I really don't. Is Jesus saying to me, you freaking missed the point. I have called you just to love people, but you are setting a standard of morals on people that crushes them. When Jesus says, come to me, give me your burdens. Give me the things that crush you and I will give you rest. When he says that to them, What I recognize is that I have never seen the call of God crush anyone, but I have seen the expectation of people crush people. And so I experience this and I just think, Lord, am I missing the point? Am I missing the simple point of what you've called me to do, which is to love you and to love people and so he goes and he tells this parable and really in the book of matthew this is the first time jesus is telling parables see this is the first time he's showing this story where it this is what it seems like but this is what it means and he goes and he talks about how this sower goes out and he spreads these seeds and if you've has anybody ever here just gone out and spread some seed the thing about spreading some seed and i've done this never but i'm assuming you take it and you go like this, uh, and you're just... I can speak for this. Uh, as a kid, you get your oranges, and there's little seeds in them. But what do you do so with those seeds? Me, as a little kid, like, 
There's these couple oranges. I throw them outside. I bury them. I get more oranges. So I take a bunch handful. And one of them even had like 14 seeds in them, which yeah. was insane. I just shoved them in the ground. You shoved it in the ground. See? And you and was disappointed. So this sower <laughs> goes out and he spreads these seeds. It wasn't one by one. It was a throwing out of seed. And then the seed <clears> fell <throat> onto four different types of ground. So he's telling the story, and if you were there, you like think back because we always talk about how context is key. Is that if we teach the Bible just highlighting stuff, we really miss actually foundational theology. And so homeboy sowers out there sowing some seeds. There's four different types of soil. If you're just listening to the first part, you're like, okay, so this is a story about how this guy is sowing seed. And apparently he didn't know where to throw the seed because he's in a hot mess of all these different experiences. <laughs> and so he goes, but the thing that we should note here is that different soils will result, will have different results. Sorry, English is apparently super hard for me. <laughs> ah, every time, um, even if the sowing is the same. There wasn't four different sowers in four different scenarios. There was one sower sowing seed and the seed landed in four different types of ground. So the action of the sower is the same, but the soil and the result of the soil is the only thing that's different. And that just made me realize the kingdom message is the same, but not everyone is ready to receive the good news and have it change their life. Not everyone is ready. And that was the message that kept coming to me as I was preparing for this message is that our job as Christians, if you're here and you're like, oh, I'm a Christian, our collective role is to go there, out there, and sow. And every place that we go, the seeds are like the message. It is love. It is peace. It is grace. It is the fact that Jesus is king. It is all these things. We go out there and we sow that. But the reality is when you do that, there are chances that people will not be ready to receive what you have to say. And I've said this before, and I will say it again. The church is no longer the voice of influence in culture as it might have been in the past. So we can't go out there sowing seed and demanding that people respect what we have to say because we have lost the respect of our culture because we have handled stuff very poorly. And I say we collectively is because I am a part of that gathering. I am a part of that body. So we don't get to go into the world and say, Heck yeah, you should listen to what I have to say about this because I am the I am a Christian. In fact, that will probably not benefit you to say that to people because they're like, we definitely don't want to listen to you at this point. You can't be like, I'm a part of the church. So this is why you should listen to what I have to say. But it doesn't mean we don't go out into the world, into every circle of influence and love people well. That the seeds that we sow, the things that we put out, should be the things that we receive from God. So if we are receiving love and grace and mercy, conviction, all these things, those are the things we go back out. But we are not responsible for the fruit that comes. We are responsible for the action of sowing. We are responsible for going out. We are responsible for doing the work <coughs> and knowing that some people will not receive it. Some people might receive it, and they might just say hard pass. Some people might be like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. And you enter into this discipleship relationship with them, and then they fall away from the Lord. And it's heartbreaking. 
But the reality is that's just what sowing seed is like. When you throw out what you have, that is what it is like. Sometimes there will be loss and sometimes there will be a harvest, but we are responsible for the sowing. And it's interesting because he said there were four different types of soil. Only one of them yields fruit. And what stood out to me here is that the kingdom, the path to the kingdom, the choice to live as a Christian is a narrow, narrow path. It is hard to follow Jesus. It is hard to forgive people because we have been forgiven. It is hard to choose grace when you really want to throat punch. Like, I'm just, like, I'm being serious. Like, like there are days where I'll call Riley and I'm like, I have to leave work. And he's like, why'd you have to leave work? Because I'm like, I'm going to throat punch somebody and I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to lose my job. It is not good for our family and probably for the kingdom. Pastor, fire, throws, pu- throat punches. <laughs> Fellow co-worker. Like Linden Tribune. Linden Tribune! Linden Tribune! Linden Pastor walking around, throat punches for the kingdom. It's just not a good look. But the idea is like, what is interesting is that that's not what we tell people when we tell them about following Jesus. When we tell people that following Jesus is like unicorns and lollipops, that it's just perfect all the time, that everything is going to be great afterwards, we're selling them a lie. Because I don't know about you, but following Christ has not resulted in the fact that I stopped experiencing hardship. Becoming a Christian did not mean automatically I was delivered from depression and anxiety. Following Jesus has not meant that I would always prosper. And I've shared this journey with you guys. It still really sucks <coughs> that Riley is not healed. He had he had surgery that was supposed to fix his foot. He did everything that they said. And God has still not healed my husband. But we are constantly around people who are experiencing healing and delivering. And there's a part of me that's like, what the flying heck? Do you not see? Like, we love you and we're doing this because we love you and this is what you've called us to do. Could you not just heal my husband because I know that you can't. And now we exist in this space in our life where we live between the space of I hope and I have hope that it could happen. But I lean into the faith that God is still good if it doesn't. But the choice to follow Christ is not easy. And if we do not share that part of the gospel, we are doing a disservice. And we are wondering why people choose Christ and then choose to walk away. Because we freaking bamboozle them. It's like, this is not a hit towards youth group. Because I love youth group. I used to be a youth pastor. But it's when we make things like, come to church and win a pair of Yeezys. Like, come! You, Connie might be here. Get some like, cavities. Yeah, like, come, like, do this. And then they show up, and it's not Yeezys, they're knockoffs. It's not Kanye, it's an impersonator. It's like, come and see this, this is awesome, come here, come here, come here, come here. And they show up, and they realize it's a lie. That is what we do when we tell them that following Jesus is just lollipops and unicorns. 
That's what we do when we just preach the gospel makes us feel good all the time. I don't know about you, but following Jesus has not felt good all the time. Following Jesus has not promised me prosperity. Following Jesus has not promised me a life without hardship. In fact, following Jesus is probably harder than it is easier. But the thing is that it's worth it. Because the kingdom of God is now, if the four different types of soil that the sower sowed in, only one was good, that should tell us something. So he goes and he tells this story. And it's interesting because even the people who were with him did not understand what he was saying. So they're like, so Jesus, why are you doing this? What is a parable? And so I looked it up. Um, unless somebody knows. Does anybody know what a parable is? Parable? Like a saying? It, it, it kind of sounds like a saying, yeah. It's a story. Like the uh, story like... Like a fable? Um, More like it, it's like telling a story to illustrate one thing, but it having another meaning. Whose line is one of those situations? <laughs> But it says, a parable, like an illustration, makes a comparison between a known truth and an unknown truth. Essentially, it means it's throwing them alongside each other. So in, in parables, the Greek comes from para and balo, which means to throw together. So by speaking parables in public, what is happening is that Jesus is trying to preach to as many people as possible, right, that service level. So a sower goes out, and this is the soil he falls on. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. He spoke with agricultural terms because most of them were farmers. So, like, we get that part. Yeah, 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 that that all makes sense. But what he really means is that this was symbolic for something else. That the seed, the sower, and the soil could be taken just as that. You could take that just as, sweet, this is a story about sowing seed from a sower. But what I'm really, what Jesus is really trying to say is that all those things mean something else. And so he begins to speak in parables. And it made sense. Like when I said in the beginning, he was on a boat and he was teaching the crowd on the land. It was most likely that the disciples were in the boat with him. And there's this moment where he goes speaking publicly to speaking privately just to them. So they ask him, why are you doing this? Before this, you were just talking plainly. It made sense. But now you're talking this way, so why? And Jesus replies, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, and others are not. To those who, are, who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables for they look but they don't really see they hear but they don't really understand or listen this fulfills the prophecy that isaiah says when you when you hear what i say you will not understand when you see what i do you will not comprehend for the hearts of these people are hardened and their eyes can their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them but blessed are your eyes because they see, your ears because they hear. And I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. They did hear what you hear, 
or they long to hear what you hear and they didn't hear it and so even the word that jesus used in the beginning parts where he says that this is a secret again this is why context is important is that the greek word for secret is mysteria and it says it literally means mysteries but in our context like what do you think when somebody says this is a mystery it's so it's like a yeah. murder story. Yeah. That turned real quick. <laughs> <laughs> what do you hear when you hear mysteries? <laughs> I think about who stole my Oreos. <laughs> that is a mystery, and that did take a turn. It did. It did. <laughs> a bad turn. It was definitely Abel. <laughs> it was a baby. <laughs> language and in this story it was actually just a technical name for something that was unintelligible to the outsider but clear to someone who has been initiated into something so the mystery or the secret that they are hearing was something and then he began to explain to them so this is what it means that that exchange is that initiation that you are now a part of this and honestly when I hear initiation I think gangs And it makes me real uncomfortable. (laughs) But here's the thing about gangs. Gangs do a significantly better job at helping people believe that they belong to something way better than churches. So that should make us recognize, holy crap, gangs are doing it better than the church. You get jumped in, essentially, right? You get jumped in, and once you're in, you're forever in. If you try to leave, they will come and get you. <laughs> and that sounds a little scary. But there was this moment where I recognized that somewhere along church culture, to belong to the church, there became an expectation that you first had to behave like the people in that gathering. And then once you behave, maybe you'll believe, but then at that point is the point where you belong. And that is absolute crap. Because if you look at Jesus' relationship with the disciples, they had none of their crap together. And they're like, and he's like, follow me. Come be with me. Come live with me. Come and do this together with me. You belong with me. Eventually, they believed. There were still so many parts where they're like, you're definitely not it. And he's like, yeah, you're definitely And okay, Peter, let's go for this. <laughs> And then they began to behave. They began to live this out. And then those disciples went on to go change the world. But it wasn't the fact that they had their crap together first. It was the fact that Jesus called them his first. So Jesus is explaining to us that people belong regardless. That this church thing that we do, this gathering thing that we do, if people feel like they have to pretend to be Christian before they belong and feel loved and feel accepted, we have freaking missed the point. We have missed the point because we have required people to behave before they belong, where Jesus had them belong before they ever started behaving. They didn't go and really change the world until after he died and was resurrected and then ascended. That's about three to four years of walking with the Messiah when he started his ministry. And then they didn't really go do it until after he was gone. And we make discipleship turn into this experience of like this really quick turnaround. Sweet. 
You said you're a Christian. You marked it on a box and a card? Definitely. You're saved. We're good to go. Now get your crap together. Act like a Christian. Whatever even that means. And then you can keep participating here. It took the disciples walking with the Savior for about three to four years before they took what they got and they went out. And there were many experiences in their time together where they would go out. And then they would come back and they're like, so we tried to do what you did. Did not work. <laughs> and he's like, this is a teaching moment. And he tells them certain things can only be done by prayer and fasting. And then they go out and they do it. And then they'll mess up and they come back. But I'm just going to say this right now. It's astounding how many people get sent out by the church. They mess up, but they don't feel like they can come back. There's a sense that I can't belong there anymore because I messed up. And I don't know about you, but if that was the bar in which people were excluded from the gathering, none of us would be here. So if we send people out, we should be prepared that they might mess up, but they should be able to come back. And then we get to say, that was a teaching moment. This is what you should do. And then they go out, and they might mess up. And then they come back. The key is that they always belong. The key is that the church should be the people who welcome people. The key should be the church should be the gathering that says, I'm going to love you. Because Jesus loves me. I'm going to forgive you because Jesus forgives me. I'm going to come alongside you because that's what we do. There is no, we don't make it complicated. It's just what we do because this is what has been done. And so he's explaining to them that this secret, the thing that they're like, why are you speaking like this? He throws back to the prophet Isaiah because remember, when Matthew was teaching, when he wrote this book, the purpose of this book was to essentially prove to the Jewish people why Jesus would be Messiah. So he constantly is referencing the prophecies that they knew, that they would hear and they would not really hear, that they would see, but they would not really see. And the context of this prophecy from Isaiah was when the nation was so rebellious they saw God do all these things, and the nation of Judah were like, hard pass, no, God doesn't exist. And they go about their sin. And Jesus is like, people have longed to see the Messiah come, but they are so blinded that they can't even see. And like I said, there will always be people who hear, but they don't really hear it. So, like, here's an example for the parents out here. You know when you say something to your kid? You know they heard you. You said their name. And you're like, I need you to go do this. They're like, yeah. And, like, they acknowledged you. They maybe even looked at you in the eye. It's like, totally. And, they're, and then all of a sudden you're like, why didn't you do that? They're like, I didn't hear you. What? Or, or my favorite is when somebody's looking for something. And they're like, oh my gosh, where is it? I don't see it at all. I don't see it at all. And they turn to the house upside down. And they're like, it's definitely lost. <laughs> and then you walk in. You're like, it's right there. This entire time, just right there. 
And it's like, so we laugh, but it's so incredibly infuriating when you're like, hey, can you do that? Yeah. Oh, good. Why didn't you do it? Oh, I didn't hear you. <laughs> you freaking looked at me in the eye. It's like a posturing thing. It's like when your kids poop and they stare at you while they do it. They're like, yeah. Jenna's like, this is so real right now. And they just stare at you. Are you staring at me and pooping? Yeah! Uh. You're like, what is going on? Sorry, that's like traumatizing to me. But that's the interesting thing, is that they can say that they heard it, and you know that they heard it because they acknowledged it, but they're like, I didn't hear it. Has anybody been guilty of that? Every day. Every day. Every time Riley wants to tell me something about Star Wars... <laughs> Every time. That's why I'm so glad because you guys are talking about there in Star Wars and they're like, yeah. I, I hear you. I, <laughs> the scene has fallen onto good soil. Yes. I hear you. I see you. They will grow. <laughs> they will grow abundantly. But every time Riley's like, Star Wars. I'm like, uh huh, I hear you. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm like, why the frick is Yoda so popular? He had 10 minutes in the movie. And then he dies. I still don't understand. I still haven't seen it. Yeah, and he goes, do you? I explained it. I'm like, uh huh. I heard you. Punch was just sad, man. <laughs> I don't understand Yoda. Because, like, I can't follow your leadership. I know. I will not submit to this. I know. Riley, call me because I hear you when I see you. But it's this interesting experience, but it's like, we, it's not that complicated. There will be people who hear, but they won't really hear. They will have ears to hear, but they won't really hear it. They will see it. But they won't really see it. And like, yeah, right? And like, here's the thing. It's like, people make Jesus sound like a wimp. And like a hippie, super crunchy, walking around, just like all hugs. And, but I'm like, Jesus was awesome. But like, homeboy also walked in the temple and started flipping tables. Made a whip and started whipping people. He's like, get out of here! He's like, yelling at people. Jesus is also the guy... That the religious people are like, you're definitely of the devil. And he goes, well, if I am, then you must be too, because you're doing the exact same thing. Amen. He's out here saying, see all these religious people? They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They do not get it. They have not received it. The seed has been sown but it did not fall on good. So their heart and their soul was not ready to receive this because if it was, their life would be changed. And here's the thing. When I talk about how, how hard it is to follow Jesus because it is, I have never met a person who has truly encountered the very spirit of God, the move of God, seen God do crazy, awesome things and say, that really sucked. <laughs> Like this joy thing that you talk about, I'm going to hard pass that. Forgive other people because I have been forgiven? No. When we see and move and hear and experience the very presence of God, we can say no, that doesn't exist. But something in us has changed. It's like something happens in our soul. I use this illustration a lot. I promise it makes sense. But it's like you eat McDonald's your entire life. This won't make sense. And you think, this McDonald's meat has to be the best meat it ever was. Like, this McDonald's meat, like, no, it's not true. Stop preaching lies. 
It will make sense. Uh, but it's it. like you eat McDonald's your entire life and you're like, this is the best freaking thing in the entire world. Oh my gosh. And then you have filet mignon. You have something better. You cannot go back and say McDonald's is definitely the best thing I've ever had. Because you have tasted something else. Have you tasted something else? Uh, I had those box crap like a... Oh, the scalloped potatoes like, in a box. <laughs> yeah. And then I made my own homemade one. I can never go back. You can't go back. Can't right. go back. You cannot <laughs> preach it. You can't go back and say that box thing was the best thing. I, I literally only had it one time after that. I didn't go yeah. back. And he's like, no, you can't go back. And here, you can't hear and see what God has done, truly experienced it, and go back. To the way that you were living, go back to the old mindset. Go back to saying this is the best thing I've ever had because it's not because your soul has experienced something greater. And then the tension comes in to if you want to give yourself over to that something greater. That's where the tension comes in. Every day we are faced with decisions about whether we will honor God or throat punch people. It's really one of them, right? Not well. <laughs> Can I do both? Not well, not legally. This is where we're splitting hairs. You're like, so what if I throat punch somebody immediately repent? Does that work? That is where we abuse grace, and that is another conversation. I'm at that's how denominations start right there. So on said I couldn't throat punch people and immediately ask for forgiveness, but this other group was like, you definitely can't do that. They only have about three people because they keep throat punching. But that's how splits happen. If anybody asks you, how do church splits happen? Just punches. Throat punches. <laughs> it all starts with them throat punches. Throat punches. It's your way out of this, Akush. It's your way out. Yes. This is how you get out of the game. <laughs> but to truly hear the good news and see God move does result in a changed life. And my heart for us is to know that the role of the Christian, we, it is not forcing people to choose Jesus. It is to let people see from the way that we live and let them hear from the way that we speak. But it is always up to God to change their heart. That my responsibility, your responsibility, our responsibility is not to force people to say, I want church, I want Jesus, I want God, I want salvation. Because they should be seeing something in our life. They should see from our life that something is different. They should hear from our mouth the truth we are speaking. That is us sowing the seed, but it will be God who brings that harvest. It will be God who changes the heart. We don't have to make it complicated. And the thing with ministry is that when we bear the unbearable pressure of being responsible, I am not responsible for your salvation. I am responsible for loving you, caring for you, living a life that you can say what, like to see the truth of the gospel in my life, to hear the truth of the gospel from my mouth. But at the end of the day, those are the things I'll be responsible for. It will not be your salvation because it is only God who can change your heart. So when I take that pressure off me, I can actually love you. 
when we take that pressure off of ourselves, we can actually love people well when they mess up because their choices don't reflect us. What reflects us is Christ in us going out. The role of the Christian is not to force our belief on other people, forcing them to change to accept the gospel. The role of the Christian is to love God and love people, to live a life where people want to know, what, what is that different thing about you? And then to enter into a relationship of just not being a douchebag. It is not that hard. But we make it so hard. It is to be kind. It is to speak life. It is to be overflowing with joy. It is to be honest about the truth that we live. It is to not make Christianity sound like this idea of having to be perfect. It is just to be who God has called us to be and honestly messing up along the way. Not messing up intentionally throat punching people. This is what we're talking about. <laughs> Splitting hairs. <laughs> but it's to realize that if you lose if you lose your temper and yell at someone, showing Christ is going to that person and asking for forgiveness and apologizing and being mindful to not do it again. Chances are you will, chances are I will. Like I always think about like Riley has the hardest role in the church because he's married to me. I know me is pretty awesome. I mean, I kind of love Star Wars. I'm joking. That was a lie. See how I struggle? That is the struggle. You're like, you that came out so easily. What do you mean? But the hardest thing, I always tell Riley, the hardest thing must be that you see and partake in some of the greatest things God has called me to do, but you also see the depth of my depravity. You also see every time I lose my mind and say, I need to walk out this house or I'm going to punch a wall. You see every time I'm in depression so dark that I can't get out of bed and you actually have to change my clothes because I can't do it myself. You see these great victories, but you see this darkness inside of me. It must be the hardest thing ever. It must be be so hard to see that, to see this vision, and then to see the moments where I'm like, burn it all down. It must be so hard. But the thing is that Riley is not responsible for that because God is changing my heart. God is doing a work in me. God is doing a work in us. But the thing about living life and what Riley has taught me is that when you live life with someone, you better expect that they're not perfect all the time. You better expect that things will be hard. You better expect that things will get tough. That you will be on the highs and you will be on the lows and you will be there for the good stuff and you'll be there for the hard stuff, but that is love. That is community. That is relationship. It's like, oh, I don't know if this will be relevant, but we're just going to try it. But it's like when you fart for the first time in front of somebody you don't know. <laughs> like something, something changes in your relationship. <laughs> yeah, it, there's a shift. Like this child's like, we've never had that before. Uh, yeah. No, but like you have, when you're in this dating relationship with somebody, there's that first level where you want them to just think you have your crap together. <laughs> And you're like, I freaking woke up looking like this. 
And then that, that first time you accidentally fart, you're like, well, <laughs> this is it. You let people behind the veil. This don't make sense. Because this is what's happening in my head right now. But you let people behind the veil of perfection. You let people behind the veil of performance. You let people behind the veil of having your crap together all the time. And here we call it the linen lawn syndrome. Where if everything is perfect on the outside, no one's going to ask why you're inside. But when that first moment where a relationship shifts from everything is good, I am perfect, I am great, I won't lose my crap, to like, this is who I really am. That in that moment, that other person has to decide, am I here for that? Do I want to be committed to this? Our church will grow when we allow people behind the veil. And then we all decide, which I believe we will decide, welcome to the game. <laughs> welcome to the club. It is not about perfection. It is about not having it figured out all the time. <coughs> it is about making mistakes and asking for grace. It is about seeking Jesus and not doing it well all the time. So Jesus goes, and he says this to them. Why are you, why are you speaking like this, Jesus? Because some people will understand and some people won't. And it is up to God to reveal who will understand. It is up to the sower to keep sowing. But that responsibility of a changed heart is not the sower's responsibility. It's for them to keep sowing. It's for them to keep casting out seed. And then we end it. So he talks about the sower and then and he goes on and he begins to say, I didn't actually add this verse set of verses and then Jesus explains exactly why he said what he says Jesus explains exactly what is going on and this is him saying to them you don't get it but here I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you how to get it this is what he's going to do and he lays it out and he then talks about it so the, the seed that fell on the beaten path That is, the seed is the message kingdom, and it falls along the path, and it does not actually penetrate deep enough to bear fruit. Because the thing about a beaten path, things are pretty cramped. There's still soil, but there are rocks, there are things. So it could take root, but it won't bear anything because there's no sustenance. There's no nourishment for that seed. It is shallow. The seeds that fall in the rocky places, it's the same thing is that it could grow quickly, but because it's rocky, there is not enough nourishment, there's not enough goodness for that seed to grow, so it dies. And I made a note about how I've met many people who have quickly and joyfully received Christ as their savior, but then down the path, they fall away from their faith. They fall away, and then you have to wonder, did the gospel penetrate? That quick growth that happens at first, if there is no root, it will die. So that quick decision, this is why I don't like emotional faith decisions. I actually am pretty vocal about against it. Is that we can't train people to make emotional faith decisions because there will be many parts of our faith that will challenge what we feel. So if we're making feel-based, faith-based emotions, on how we feel, it's going to be a scary place where you cannot feel the presence of God. It will be a scary place where you do not feel the love of God. 
Because if you've ever been in depression, it almost feels like you are, you have completely lacked all ability to feel. Like the best way I can, I can explain depression to somebody is you know in your head that you loved your child. You know in your head that you loved your spouse, but you feel nothing towards them. And the fear comes in the fact that you know, but you cannot feel. So when we raise up a generation of feelers for their faith, what happens when they in their head know that God exists, but they cannot feel his presence? And they've only been trained to feel the presence of God. What happens when they know in their head that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and he loves them, but they do not feel his love, but they know it. The fear comes in when we cannot connect the two. So we can't keep making faith, like feeling-based emotions decisions around faith. That it has to be this beautiful combination of both. And understanding that when you don't feel the presence of God, it does not mean that he is not there. And that's the scary thing about what we are raising up for the next generation of Christians is this idea that do you feel the presence of God? Sometimes you do. I don't know about you. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I pray and it literally feels like my words are falling out of my mouth onto the ground. Sometimes I want to hope for healing for my husband and I just get really pissed off that it doesn't happen. That I don't feel God is moving. That I don't feel like he's doing enough. And then I have to realize I need to stop thinking that everything is gauged by my feelings. But where are the things that are gauging by my faith? And that is the seed that falls amongst in the rocky soil. And then you have the seed that grows amongst the thorns. The thing about what thorns indicate is that it indicates other plants. What has thorns? Other plants. So the seed that is casted amongst the thorns means that something else is already living there. Something else is already residing there. The seed will not grow because these thorns from the plants are already taking up what the seed needs to grow. And what challenged me about this is that I think that it is easy to cast a lot of seeds in thorns. I think it is easy if we even look at our own heart. What other things are growing in our heart? So if our heart represents the soil, our soul represents the soil, is the good news, is the truth, is the gospel falling into thorns because we have allowed other things to grow there. We have allowed other things to thrive there. We have allowed our love for all these other things to grow in this thing that is our heart and our soul. Is that what has happened? I had this really interesting conversation with Riley. Um, I'm the kind of person where like out of nowhere, I'll ask Riley, like, do you think people know that I love Jesus? And he's like, where did that come from? We were driving the other day and I was like, do you think I have a love of money? Am I a bad steward? Oh my gosh, what is going, and I'm like going down this rabbit trail of like all these things, and I was like, where is this coming from? And I was like, I don't know, I'm just thinking like, is this something growing in my heart and I don't know because if it is, you should tell me because I want to just kill it, but is this something growing there? And I feel like I'm constantly checking my heart to see if there are other plants with thorns choking out the message of the gospel in me. Because there, you will spend your entire life we will spend our entire life 
learning more and more about our faith, committing to that. Any person who tells you they have it figured out, run. Run. Because they don't. That is the part about faith and journeying is that we are in it for the rest of our lives. So to check your heart to see are there other things growing here too? And the smartest thing to do with a plant or a weed that you don't want growing is you got to pull it out from the root. But the hard thing about that is you got to figure out what that root is. So for me, love of money is I always grew up dirt poor. Dirt poor. Used to tie plastic bags around my tennis shoes during the rain because if those shoes got ruined, I wouldn't have another pair of shoes. Hand-me-down clothes, just keep wearing it. All these things. So my struggle is that I can idolize money because I never had money. So I have this scarcity mindset that I need to hoard it because what if something happens? And there is wisdom in just being smart with your finances, but if the root is fear, then that has to be taken out. Or that weed, that thorn, that plant will keep coming back. So you talked so far about four soils and only one is the good soil. That the heart that is ready to receive the good news, that heart would nourish the good news, it will grow there. So I want us to talk about what happens when we sow and some people are just not ready to receive the gospel. What do we do? And I want us to end our takeaway with that is this conversation of what do we do when we've consistently shown up, love people, and they still are like, no, I don't want what you have. What do you do? What have you done? So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to uh, re-record this in case anybody else wants to listen to it who's not here because they're not feeling well. Thank you for not sharing your grossness. I hope you hear that in the recording. Well, I won't edit that out. <laughs> you are not gross. Your sickness is. Nobody wants coronavirus. <laughs> so I'm going to pray. And so, Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you, God, that you are good. Even when we don't feel it, you're moving even if we don't see it. You are present and tangible and real. God, I pray that as we continue to grow our community, that people who so deeply desire to belong, God, would they know that they belong here? Would they know that they belong in the body of Christ? Would they, would they know that they belong not because they believe or behave the way that would make us comfortable, but they would know that they belong because you have made us belong? long before we had our crap together, if we even have that together. So I pray that we would be the type of church gathering that would reflect your love so people could see from the way that we live that you have changed our life, you are changing our life. And they would hear from the words that we are saying, God, would they hear the truth consistently? Would they hear the story of who you are and what you have done? I thank you so much, Lord, for this gathering. I thank you that this is not a place where we have to project perfection. But, Lord, we show our mercy and our grace because that is what you have shown to us. In Jesus' name, amen.